0: And hello everybody and welcome to Radio Free Asgard. This is episode number 354. We're the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin and a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. My name is Tom Harris and welcome along to the show. And we're finally starting to have some beautiful fall weather here in Chicago. Boy, you know, I'm always really happy when the summer thing is done. And of course, you can always get a little surprise later in the year with a week or so of hot weather, but it's September, and I'm just hoping that it stays nice and cool. You've had a beautiful couple of days in the last few days. Just nice for being out and about. A little humid, but, but cool and pleasant, and yeah, uh, I really do enjoy this really, really nice weather that we have at this time of year. Before we get started, I just have a real quick shout out to our good friend, Manuel Carmona, friend of the show, longtime listener. Manuel, well, stay out from under those metal pipes. We need all the listeners we can get. Anyway, I hope you're feeling better. And without any further ado, let's move along to our review.
1: Cross the rainbow bridge, cross guard, where the blue-
0: And this week we are looking at The Mighty Thor, number 204. October of 1972 is the cover date. 20 cents is the cover price. Cover artist by John Buscema, inked by Joe Sinnott, shows Thor. And he's holding Sif around the waist and kind of protecting her. And they are being grabbed by this sort of rock-headed tentacle beast. So it has two long tentacles, like arms. And then it has sort of this rocky, pointy head with lots of little spikes on it and yellow glowing eyes. And they're in this sort of Doctor Strange, Doctor Seuss sort of weird landscape. And there's orange clouds. And Thor's whapping on this beast with his hammer. And the beast has him around one of his legs with his tentacles. And Sif is saying,
1: My lord, the demon drags us down, down. But what will be our fate?
0: The fate, my lady, of those who have gone before. Oblivion and death, says Thor. And we open up to the splash page where we have the credits. Stan Lee presents Jerry Conway, scripter. John B. Semma was the penciler. Jim Mooney was the inker. Shelley Leferman, or Leferman, was the letterer. And Roy Thomas was the editor. And the title of the story is Exiled on Earth. And that comes from Odin here. He's saying ungracious upstart, thou dost dare to question thine own father, to mock me, to turn away from me, for this and other more painful insults shalt thou be exiled, yea, for all eternity, exiled on earth. And we had the angry, glowing eyes of Odin in the sky, and I believe that, yeah, last issue, Thor had questioned odin's motives you uh, we shall say uh for this whole ego prime thing and creating these new gods and and all that and thor is not saying anything and they've got their backs turned to odin's eyes and sif is saying though, though it looks like she's talking to balder <laughs> not thor but she says uh, speak thor
1: beg thy father's forgiveness ask odin's mercy ere the moment pass and all be lost
0: it is already done says thor i have said what i must Thou must ask no more. Enough, says Odin. I'll hear no further carping. What right hast thou to judge thy father's meaning or intent? What I did, I did because I found it necessary. The universe had need of a new race. A race only Earth could provide. And twas Odin's choice and Odin's alone. And none may say me nay. And we uh, shift back to Earth, and we have several things that are kind of going on all at once here. We see the group of Asgardians uh, here on Earth, and it says, On Earth the gods of Asgard glance from one to another, their jaws firm, their heads turn, and all look away from Odin and cast their lot with Thor. For one timeless moment their skins burn, and then tis done. Stunned, they stumble forward through the rubble left from their battle with the monster called Eagle Prime. Slowly, until... And Thor sees something, and he sees some of these uh, weird, brightly colored Play-Doh monster people. And he says, Ho, friends! Perhaps the battle is not yet over. Yonder, the creatures mutated by Eagle Prime. With their master's demise, will they fight? Or, by Hella's black touch... The creatures now change and do return to their natural state. As human beings, inheritors of this oft besieged earth. And indeed, these monsters have changed back to being people. While around us, the buildings do shift and reform. Walls spring to meet walls. Windows glisten anew. Whole structures regain their shattered foundations. A miracle. And indeed, all the buildings are kind of coming back together. And are as though the battles never happened. One wrought by Odin, methinks to write what wrongs he did this day, and right them all without a word of sorrow, nor an admission of deserved grief. And the caption says, Long minutes pass and cross the length and breadth of the isle called Manhattan. Buildings retain their concrete glory, while short blocks from the exiled thunder god, we have Heimdall and Camor, his little dwarf serpent. It doth give me cause to fear, says Heimdall. I like it not, kamor After bringing those three earthlings before Ego Prime, we have heard naught from the Allfather. Aye, Master Heimdall, even when the world around us transforms, I cannot help but wonder if Odin hath forgotten... Zounds! And there's a giant burst of energy, one of uh, Odin's golden showers here, coming down, grabs uh, Kamur and Heimdall and whisks them away. It appears we worried in vain, good friend. Noble Odin hath not abandoned us. Nay. In the blink of an eye, he spirits us homeward, home to far distant Asgard, where once more I'll find my feet upon the Rainbow Bridge to give my sword, yea, my very soul, for Odin and for Asgard. And they appear in Odin's throne room, and Odin is sitting there on his throne, and he says, Vow not undying fealty, Heimdall, I trust it not, in man or mortal, and ne'er again, in son, my lord, thou dost know my heart be thine, and though Heimdall may ne'er claim thee father, he shall always call thee liege. And a voice comes from behind, "Think thee twice, guardsman. Thy liege is but a dark betrayer." And it's Carnilla, of course, and she's got the vizier with her. Carnilla, watch thy tongue. As Norn queen, thou art but a guest in Odin's realm.
1: Be still, old one. And thou, Heimdall, let thee speak and ask
0: thy lord where be his son and kind companions. My lord, dare I ask, says Heimdall, has the noble Thor fallen? Are we to lose such a blessed prince? Foreign. Nay, says Odin. If only it were so, he shouts, and the, his hair has changed from being kind of Santa like to being very Elvis like. It's this huge Odin pompadour. Anyway, death would bring grief. Not so bitter an anger, not so deep a disgrace. He saw fit to call me unthinking, to say I cared not that Earthman might be injured by my cosmic plan. My own son did call me cruel, and for that shall he dearly pay. And everyone's running away from angry Odin, and uh, they're all rushing out the door here. (laughs) And uh, Heimdall's saying, Stars, never have I seen Odin rage so. "'Yea, but not so much at Thor,
1: I think, as at himself.' "'A pretty thought, vizier, but pointless. "'For what can it matter when my beloved Baldur stands trapped upon a distant world,
0: "'and all Asgard wails for his and their most swift return?' "'And we see three old ladies. Are they Norns? Maybe they're Norns. "'Anyway, they're, they're these three elderly women, and they're cloaked and they're yeah, the looks like they're crying or wailing or something but yeah it's not your normal as guardians as a sort of these uh, old ladies anyway uh so we shift back to earth and we are shifting to the apartment building where silas grant the sea captain from that fake earth and tana nile are hiding and they are looking out the window and they just happen to see thor and company walking by and it says here but not only the gods of Asgard suffer the fate of exile, others whose destiny is inextricably linked with theirs are also unknowingly doomed. Others, such as the Regilian colonizer named Tananiyel, and the lone survivor of Annihilated Black World, Silas Grant, who look now from their place of hiding to see Thor, and those other lads. Why, there's even that lovely lass Hildegard. But they look so grim.
1: Grim, Silas Grant?
0: And they go outside, and they uh, run into them. A worried frown marring the delicate symmetry of her alien features, Tanania leaves the building at a run, and quickly questions the somber Asgardian she encounters.
1: Exiled? No, it can't be true. I'd hoped beyond reason that one of you might return me to my people. But now...
0: Fear not, Virgilian. Thou mayest stay with us till a way is found.
1: I am not so much a fool as to believe in miracles, Thundergod. No... The fact remains, my ship was destroyed with Black World. My people will believe that I too was consumed. And so I must cast my lot with Earth.
0: And she uh, touches herself and there's a glow around her, a tiny bit of Kirby Crackle, and she is changing form. And every we get a reaction shot here of Fandral and Hildegard and, and Silas Grant. And when the instant passes, all eyes remain riveted to the alien's altered form. Old man, I like thy taste, says Fandral. Perhaps this time on Earth will be to Fandral's liking after all. And we see that uh, Tannen Isle is transformed into a beautiful girl, uh, dressed in very 1972-type clothes. That's <laughs> one of those weird sort of... Uh, I don't know, polyester cover-all dresses, but she's wearing, like, this white long sleeve blouse underneath it. It is so 70s, I can hardly believe it. Anyway, and Tana has changed to look very human, and she has lost her enormous head, and she's got a uh, you know, long black hair, and she says, Time will
1: tell, Asgardian. I think we'll each have adjustments to make if we're all to survive. Though I've lived on this world before, I lived aloof, apart from the stream of life, an outsider... Now, as I've changed my appearance, so must I change my
0: mind. Sentiments most fair, Tananile, says Thor. Ones we'd all do well to emulate in the days ahead. Yet before we do learn how to live amongst the men of Earth, we must find where to live. And methinks I do have an answer. And we shift scenes, and we see this uh, assembled company in Avengers Mansion. Because, yeah, where else would Thor take them in New York to live? Uh, That makes sense. On a familiar street in the East 60s, overlooking the green and brown hillocks of Manhattan's Central Park, there stands a certain mansion owned by millionaire industrialist Tony Stark and currently on permanent lease to a group of world-famous adventurers called the Avengers. And they're all here, and Jarvis is here as well. Looks like he's serving tea. It is there, several hours later, that we find Thor and his morose companions, each suffering just a little from his own private form of delayed shock and suffering in silence, until there's alarm going off, and they ree, and Thor says, The alarms! Jarvis! Speak, man! What doth? I-, I don't know, sir. After admitting your friends, I reset the controls. Perhaps a malfunction? Nay, mortal, already there comes the tread of approaching footsteps, and there a shadow. Stay thee back, my lord, I'll take this battle myself, says Fandral, and he uh, reaches forward and he goes to uh, tackle whoever it is that, that's here. There's a frustrated rage boiling within me, and it doth need an out, and thou shalt have it. And there's a wham, and it turns out that uh, that was Thor. He's grabbed Fandral and yanked him away from the person he grabbed and, uh, yeah, it kind of looks like he slams him down on the floor in his face. <laughs> and Fandral keeps trying to rush forward to attack this person. And Thor says, Fandral, hold. Thou dost not know this world, my friend. What need have I for knowledge, Thunder God? One struck, Fandral doth strike in turn. And it turns out to be Iron Man. And uh, it looks kind of, I don't know, pathetic, I guess, <laughs> next to the next to Fandral. But he's uh, then Iron Man is like, then strike somewhere else, buddy. Take my word for it. You've got no quarrel with Iron Man. And we uh, shift uh, scenes again to sometime later, and I guess Thor's explained everything. I, Iron Man says, I'll say this for you as Guardian, Thor. You do have a certain style. I gather your father wasn't too pleased with your overall reaction. An understatement, Avenger. As punishment for our disloyal criticism, we have been marooned on thy planet, a situation less desired than thou wouldst think. There'll be something new, Thunder God. One city seems much like another, my friend, and none satisfactory. I'm a New Yorker, remember? Yeah, I see your point. They shall will be stopping here a while, huh? For a time, says Thor. Tomorrow, Fandral Hogan and Loud Volstag shall... Hold! Fandral, are we blind? Volstag! Gone, says Fandral. To think of it, my lord, I've not seen him since the battle began hours ago. Don't worry, Fendral. From what Thor's told me, he's probably off trembling in a cellar somewhere, says Iron Man. Well, that's kind of rude. And speaking of Volstagg, we shift scenes, and Volstagg is in the uh, cellar with the little girl and her uh, doll, Missy Pompadour. Volstagg is saying, Well, little one, for nigh on two hours have we hid. Dost thou yet feel frightened of the fighting without? Gee, Mr. Volstagg,
1: I don't know. Missy Pompadour is still scared, and I always listen to Missy Pompadour. Can we just stay a little longer, please?
0: As thou dost with, child. Though the heart of noble Volstagg yearns always for battle. And he lays down and leans up against the wall and falls asleep very, very quickly.
1: Mr. Volstagg,
0: says the little girl. And the caption says... Receiving no answer, the child moves closer to the now slumbering Asgardian, her eyes, though inquisitive, strangely cold and hard. Silent, she stares at the giant's massive figure, the steady rise and fall of his bulging chest. Satisfied with what she sees, the girl turns toward the shadows at the rear of the musty basement, humming softly to herself as she walks into a seeming corner, and with a smile greets something tall and dark. And this sort of green scaly hand comes out, and she grabs one of its fingers and guides it to uh, where Volstagg is. And it looks kind of like um, it looks kind of like the Green Goblin, though I know it's not. I mean, it's it, but it, it's the green scaly creature wearing uh, like a hood and purple and you know, this purple costume. And yeah. there's three of them, it looks like. And so they pick up Volstagg. And they go carrying him off into the darkness. And we shift back to Avengers Mansion. it says, As in all things, there are degrees of depression and despair. And for one who loves as strongly as Thor loves, and has had that love seemingly betrayed by his own father's hand, the despair is great. The depression is deep. And so he's watching some kind of uh, cowboy show on TV, it looks like. And so in the Avengers Mansion, later that afternoon, as the others explore their new land and search for the missing Volstagg, Thor sits brooding, lost in dark thoughts, until, my lord, said it's Sif, and she's uh, coming to uh, see what's up with Thor. Forgive me, fair one, my mind doth wander, thou wert saying.
1: If the lady Sif may be so bold, my lord, I do think 'tis time that thou didst show me this world. And for that
0: purpose have I taken these clothes, which the butler Jarvis said do belong to thy fellow avenger, the Scarlet Witch, and she's wearing a, um... Uh, like a red overcoat, I guess the Scarlet Witch had makes sense, and a sort of white miniskirt. Okay, the, I mean, it's a very 1972-looking sort of fashion. They fit thee well, Sif, and perhaps thou art correct. Too long hath Thor sat musing here. Mayhap tis time for another to take his place, another more suited to this land, the Thunder God's human alter ego, Dr. Donald Blake, and he bangs his hammer on the floor... And he changes back into Dr. Blake, and they go wandering out into the city, and there's you know people all around looking very 1970s, basic street scene, and they're out and about. It says, soon, several blocks south and east, two more pedestrians join the city's flow, one walking tall, proud, and the other with a slight, barely noticeable limp. And on the latter of these two, stern features slowly loosen, relax, And form a smile. So Thor is getting to be in a better mood here. And they uh, are going to a particular building. And the address is 702. Um, So, yeah. So I guess this is uh, Dr. Blake's office building. Where his office is. You know, Sif, it's funny. It must be months since I last visited my office. Guess I expected the entire building to be changed in some way. But it hasn't changed. Everything's just as I left it. Even the doorman. And the doorman's. Dr. Blake? You, you're back. Everybody thought you had an accident or something.
1: Not so, friend. He is back, and this time he'll stay.
0: And the doorman goes to a telephone in the lobby, and he calls somebody and he says, uh, Hello, Mr. Sarin. This is Lou downstairs. Lou, the doorman, Mr. Sarin. Look, you're not going to believe who just waltzed in. And Sif and uh, Blake uh, take the elevator up, and they're on the 16th floor, it says. And Blake says, like this place, I think, Sif. It's, good Lord, no! And <laughs> Sif is saying, uh, my Lord, what is it? I guess I've been gone longer than I thought. And so the uh, the, the doorway of uh, Blake's office is barred with, uh, like, bolts, not like bolts like in Nuts and Bolts, but bolts like in Barring a Door Bolts. Uh, this is a you know, metal uh, or wooden bar across the door, so, so you can't open it. A distinguished-looking older man steps out of the, uh, out of the shadows and, and approaches the two of them. Quite, Dr. Blake, that is, if you are Dr. Donald Blake. But be that as it may, I don't think we've ever met, sir. My name is Sarin, Carl Sarin. "'I'm the owner of this building.' "'Then maybe you can tell me what this is all about,' says Blake. "'I've paid rent months in advance, almost through next year. "'Now in heaven's name—how in heaven's name do you—' "'Dr. Blake, you seem like a sensible man. We're both sensible men. "'I acquired this building only recently. "'The previous management corporation could no longer afford the upkeep, I'm afraid.' And I swear to you, my friend, amongst all the papers forward to me, there was no mention of your lease or any special arrangement you may have had with your former landlords. However, if you can produce your own copy. Looks like I'll have to, Saren. And they go off towards the elevator again. Excellent, Dr. Blake. I'll expect to see you in my office Monday. And perhaps then we'll manage to straighten this matter out to our mutual satisfaction. And we have scenes and we're in Central Park and we have uh, Silas Grant and Tana Nile and Hildegard. And Hildegard is, is dressed in sort of jeans and a jumper and Tana looking very much like we saw her before. And Silas Grant is still dressed in his uh, sea captain's outfit. Not even in Asgard have we a place such as this, says Hildegard. True, there are gardens, parks with walks, fountains, sculpture like nothing in all lands of men. But still, this concept of a central park, it sounds like they have exactly this <laughs> in this <currently. laughs> Ah, Alas, you truly don't understand, do ye? says Grant. Tis not the idea of a Tildegard, it's the feel. Breathe that lassies. It's almost like me blessed home. Now, do you understand, Asgardian? And ye tan a nile? It's not the place, ye silly fools. It's the time. Some are me girls. summer in a world like earth. It's like no heady drink you've ever tasted. And they go wandering off, and they're going underneath a bridge. Uh, I guess there are bridges in Central Park. I don't know. Anyway, there's some kids playing uh, catch, and there's a kid named Chuck, and he misses the ball, and it's going flying towards the Asgardians and some other kids are like, Chuck, the ball, catch it. I can't. It's going too high. And it goes bouncing off in front of the uh, the three, and he's,
1: oh crumbs, hey mister, hey can you get the
0: ball? Aye lad, I'll fetch it for you, day's too fine for walking. And he goes running after the ball, these bones ain't so old as they seem eh lassie. And uh, he goes off after the ball and the kid's like, gee sir, I sure appreciate this.
1: I mean most old guys yell at you, you know what I mean?
0: And he's looking into the tunnel of the bridge and there's nothing there. The ball's gone. People are gone. And so the kid goes running off and uh, he's thinking to himself,
1: the three of them went in there. I saw them go in. But if they went in, how come they didn't come out? And if they didn't come out, where did they go?
0: And we shift scenes and again, we are in a bar and we have Fandral and Hogan uh, and they have changed into sort of suits. And, of course, Fandral has a green tuxedo because, of course, he does. And Hogan is wearing a blue sport jacket and he's got like a gray sweater underneath it. Again, kind of 70s looking uh, garb for both of them. Drinks for thee, my friend, thy finest ale. And methinks a taste of that fellow's mead. And he's pointing at uh, one of the other people in the bar. And the bartender's like, you want a white Russian? "'Okay, mister, it's your funeral. "'Yay, barkeep, I agree.'" And uh, Fandral is turning out to um, other people, and he's talking, oh, Baldur's here too. Balder's wearing this sort of brown suit, and he's not wearing his helmet. It's not, not a, a look that we're used to seeing with him. And Fandral's saying, "'I prithee, Balder, smile, thou art too grim. "'In truth, thou dost make Hogan look like the most wily sprite. "'Save thy light-hearted humor, Fandrel, says Hogan." "'Balder mourns the loss of Carnilla, "'while we do only have Asgard for which to grieve. "'Thinkest thou I can be cold, Hoguns says Balder, "'as much as thee, O'Fendril, I ache for distant Brost. "'Yet greater is my pain than his, "'for only now do I fully understand my lover's need. "'For t'was a love I dare deny, a love forsworn, "'for the Norn Queen didst war against Odin, and thus against me. "'A war now seemingly over, thou replaced by still another. "'One I wage!' A war with my own noble liege, as do we all. Baldur, says Fendrel. Yet we still do live, and, eh, may we aid thee, my ladies? And there's a group of women that have come up to the three of them, and uh, one of them and it looks like Gwen Stacy, and the other one is looks like because 'cause she's got <laughs> she actually kind of does look like Dawnstar without wings, and she's got long black hair and a, like a 1972 hippie a headband, and and then the other is a a redhead wearing a green dress. She's got her back turned, so you can't really see her face. But anyway, um, and the, the girls are like, "'Gosh, I hope so.' "'Ask a child, and it is thine. "'Yet before thou dost, answer me this. "'Know thee a goodly guide, one who doth understand the city, "'and could duly direct my friends and myself?'
1: "'Well, gosh, I mean, we all live here, Shirley and Charlene and me.' If you want, we can sort of, you know, show you things.
0: Child, a truly admirable suggestion. Now thy question. Are you with a group? Group? A group? Minstrels. I fear not, milady. but my friends and I, my friends. And he turns around and he doesn't see them, but uh, they uh, have obviously kind of ducked out. And he follows. He goes out the front door and he sees that uh, Balder and Hogan are kind of walking away in the darkness. And it says, frowning, his eyes flashing annoyance, the Asgardian Guardsman excuses himself with a nod. Long strides carrying him outside into the deepening twilight. His eyebrows raised, he wonders. Has he gone too far this time? A harmless sham? Has his act become more than that? Causing anger instead of laughter. He begins to call out and chokes. Stunned. And we see Balder and Hogan, and they vanish. There's a burst of light, and they're in the middle of the street. They're not, like, under a bridge or anything, and they're just gone. And Fandral's like, by Odin's silver beard, gone. And it says, for an instant, Fandral stares speechless. Then he lunges, and as he steps from light to shadow, he feels a sudden, eerie chill. A chill which engulfs him, grasps him, and like a thing alive, jerks him away, and Fandral now is also gone, and we see him going through sort of a darkness, and so being dragged off to somewhere unknown. And we shift scenes, and we are uh, with uh, Thor in the guise of Don Blake and with Sif again. Elsewhere, the midnight hours lie heavily on the all-too-mortal shoulders of Dr. Donald Blake, for these are the coldest hours, the emptiest moments, when the darker thoughts of a man's existence find their meat and the food of aching depression. My lord, please, ease thy burdened soul. Blame not thyself for our plight. T'was a decision for each, a decision freely made, which we none of us regret. It's not just that, Sif, says Blake. How can I really be sure if I made the right choice? Who am I to question Odin? God or man, I'm not infallible. But maybe, just maybe, I'm a bit too proud. Balder, do you... Baldur? Balder? And he turns, but uh, Balder's not there because, you know, we knew they went to the bar.
1: Love, dost thou forget? They did leave three hours ago to search for lost Volstag, I suppose. Three hours? That long?
0: But what about the other Sif? Tenanile, Silas? Where? Gone too. I never did think. And there's a hissing noise. Uh, hiss. And Sif is like, My lord, that sound. I heard it, Sif. And perhaps I've had enough of self recriminations. And he gets his cane and he bangs it on the ground and he changes into Thor. Perhaps the proper place for Thor is battle battle with the stench of bloody war. Again there comes that sound, a whisper unlike any I've ever heard before. Stay thee here, my lady. I'll seek the cause alone. Not so, Thor. My sword is with thee. This I swear. Then come, says Thor, and they go following this hissing noise, which seems to be coming from down the hallway, and we see the hallway looks very, very dark, much like the places where we've seen uh, the others disappear to. Then come, says Thor, thou at least must know thy mind, and tis not Thor's place to change it. But hold, Sif, ahead, the lights do grow dim. What madness is this? And as they go towards the darkness, they are grabbed, just like the others were, and pulled into the darkness, and Thor says... Odin's blood! Get thee back, my lady. The darkness attacks us. Too late, my love. Whatever force it be, it doth swallow me also. Then we both are doomed. The darkness doth spin and swirl, and in it all space doth swiftly dissolve. And the head, looming out of the mists, a demon hound of hell, the source of sound and force alike. And we see tentacles coming out, looking very much like the tentacles on the cover. And we see the back of a rocky, pointy head, just like we saw on the cover. And we hear hiss, hiss, because that's the sound that it's making. Of hell or worse, mything, says Thor. And we see the monster in full now. And it's not exactly like it is on the cover, but still kind of a rocky, pointy head. And, and two big purple tentacles. And uh, it's hissing. It does eye silently, my lady. Yet I sense a certain tension in its grasp. And even as we do speak, the creature doth act. And uh, how can you say it's eyeing them silently when it's hissing continually? Anyway. anyway, so the creature has grabbed Thor, and it looks like it's trying to put Thor into its mouth. But uh, Thor takes the hammer, and he's slamming the hammer forward, and it causes this creature thing to dissolve. And yeah, so definitely hitting it with the hammer just made it disappear. And they are in a Dr. Susian sort of Doctor Strange weird world, kind of like on the cover. And the caption says, At last there's time for breathing, for glancing from right to left, for slowly walking through a fading mist. Eyes widening, they find themselves almost fearing each new revelation, for in truth, they do not yet accept the nightmare which has so suddenly overtaken them. A nightmare from which they fear there is no escape, and they're wandering along through this sort of bridge thing. Stay close, my lady, says Thor. Whatever hath stolen us from our native clime may yet tear us asunder, and of all things, that must never be. And they see a light coming from what looks like a cave, sort of golden light here, and Sif saying,
1: Thor, that light, why doth it attract me so?
0: Yea, I feel it, Sif, and more. Somehow I do know, yonder lies the answer to all of our questions, the cause, the final clue, the ultimate piece of the puzzle which hath entrapped us all. But wait, nay, not even this did I dream. It is the most deadly, most dreaded one of all. And he sees something here, obviously he's very alarmed. We get a double page spread and we see a scene here of some hellish Plato monsters and some gargoyle type people. And we have Hogan, Fandral, and Volstagg, and Balder, and Hildegard, and Silas, and Tanna, And they are all standing around in a circle, staring up at a stone pillar, which is surrounded by a little bit of a bonfire. And sitting at the top in a chair. Mephisto, says Thor. Welcome, Thunder God. As you no doubt can see, we have been expecting you. Next issue the Hounds of Hades and that is Thor number 204 and we'll be talking all about this issue right after this message
1: The Fantasticast
0: is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics Each week Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover each issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo of Marvel's first family and in 2019 we begin our journey through the neon decade, the 1980s Join us as we cover... All-time classic runs from John Byrne and Walt Simonson. She-Hulk and Sharon Ventura join The Fantastic Four. The Invisible Girl No More. Here comes The Invisible Woman. Spin-off series including Marvel 2-in-1 and The Thing. Marvel's Secret Wars. The Trial of Reed Richards and more. Find us at theFantasticast.com on iTunes and all other podcast services. The Fantastic us. Insert catchy tagline here. Wait, what? And we are back. And of course, we have a few things to say about the issue, as we always do. Overall, it's fine. It's a transitory issue. So you know, we're between two stories or going from the Go Prime storyline kind of abruptly. I mean, we're, we're taking a whole issue to do it. But all of a sudden, bang, Mephisto. <laughs> uh, we didn't have a lot of warning about that. It's just that all of a sudden, you know, because you need a new villain, all of a sudden this long Ego Prime story that we have had going on and, and they just kind of just changed things really, really quickly. Um, it's not the most exciting issue. It's a lot of it is character uh, character development, a little bit of exposition and basically people getting accustomed to the new normal for the series again, the, the characters don't have a lot to do story-wise, so there's some characters that you kind of wonder, well, why are they here? Uh, and Nile Silas Grant, Hildegard, they really don't do anything. Obviously, Sif and the Warriors 3 and Balder, they're your stalwart supporting cast. Sure, it makes sense that they would be here. I have a feeling that they're going to kind of shuffle the rest of them off uh, pretty soon, but uh, yeah, it just seems like there's just a lot of people to deal with here and i can imagine that uh, jarvis is going to have his work cut out for him just fetching mead for all these uh, as guardians art speaking yeah i mean it's it's john b's summit and it sings by jim mooney it's a weird combination now it's not entirely unsuccessful and i've seen this same combination work pretty well elsewhere i think that mooney was working with again rough pencils And we've talked about this a few times in the last few issues where it seems like Buscema is doing very, very rough penciling and it needs to be finished by somebody else. And Mooney has a very distinctive style of his own. And so it appears that many of the faces in this issue, particularly Sif's face, have been redrawn extensively throughout the issue. I think the other other one of note is the kid in Central Park. Uh, It's very much a Jim Mooney face. And it looks weird with the John Buscema physicality of the characters. Um, also, the appearance of Iron Man is kind of weird. I mean, he's only in there for four panels, but he's weirdly off-model. And and I try to think, you know, when, did, when did Buscema draw Iron Man? And I'm guessing, really, he didn't draw Iron Man a lot. He, it was not a character that he ever really had a lot to do with. Uh, maybe when he was drawing some Avengers stories, but not really... Yeah, it, it, he does look off-model here, and I think that's why. I think that he's just one of those characters, kind of like Spider-Man, that, that John B. Samu just didn't draw very much. So it looks a little bit odd. Um, you know, Iron Man, during this era especially, was going to be more your George Tuska uh, so, or, or your Don Heck. Yeah, those would be more the characters that would be drawing Iron Man during this this period. So it just looks a little bit weird to me. But not unpleasing really they you could tell it's a rush job in part because there are no backgrounds very very little in the way of backgrounds there's a few little background details here and there probably put in by the production staff uh, because they don't necessarily look like they're in style so i'm guessing that jim mooney just kind of put in some details in the background where the where they're needed Uh, as opposed to just leaving all the backgrounds blank. But there's a lot of panels where there's just nothing whatsoever, so you can tell that the art was kind of rushed. All right, so I really don't have a whole lot else to talk about with this issue, so I'm going to wrap it up for now. Once again, folks, thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And if you want to email the show, you can do so. The email address is radiofreeasgard at gmail.com. And with that, I am back over the Rainbow Bridge, back to Midgard, and we'll see you next time here on Radio... Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard is copyright Tom Harris USA Productions, which is totally responsible for its content. The characters, stories, and situations presented on this program are copyright their respective copyright holders and are presented for entertainment, review, and educational purposes only. No ownership is implied. We make no money from this podcast, and the contents are believed to be covered under fair use. If you like what you've heard on today's program, we'd appreciate it if you leave us an iTunes review, send us an email with your feedback, tell your friends if you have any, or annoy your coworkers with our incoherent ramblings and silly voices. Thanks once again for listening to Radio Free Asgard.